We are gathered today as the church, as the family of God. And if you are visiting or new here this morning, we want to send a special welcome invitation to you as well. And it's just a joy to have you here with us. Now, we're going to spend some time in the Word of God this morning, and we're going to be studying some history of the church. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 21. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 21, where we are going to read about a real pivotal turning point in the book of Acts, and especially in the life of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle who had this radical conversion experience of experiencing the risen Jesus, and then he turns from someone who persecuted the church into someone who's planting churches, and he's going through all throughout the Greco-Roman world, and today we find him on his journey to Jerusalem. He is traveling to the city of Jerusalem. Now, as we we study the story of Paul this morning, the the major thing that I want to focus on is, is what does it mean to be steadfast as a church? When we read about the life of Paul, Paul has this powerful conversion experience, and then he goes through all these trials and tribulations, and he's traveling all through the world with all these difficulties, and yet Paul was absolutely steadfast in the calling that God had given him. And the story we're going to read about this morning is is some more adversity that he sees where there's people in the church who hear from the Holy Spirit and and they realize what's going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem. They say, Paul, don't go. This is going to harm your life. This could even end your life. And yet Paul says, no, this is the calling that God has before me. And so I must be steadfast in it. And so what does it mean to be steadfast? When you guys hear that word, what do you think of? What does it mean to be steadfast? Pardon? Yeah, solid. Solid in purpose. Firm. Consistent. Focus. You don't give up. You don't deter. Right? And so when we look about the the concept of steadfast, we're talking about this aspect of, of never giving up, being focused, being determined, never deterring from the purposes and calling to which God has given us. And so this is what it means to be steadfast. Now, how, how do we understand um, how we approach and live out being steadfast in our lives? Well, I was in a meeting this week with a bunch of national leaders around Canada with the, with the church, and we met in Victoria. And being on the island again, I know you guys, Helmut and Annalise, had a wonderful time on the island. I grew up on the island, so it brought back tons of beautiful memories there. Uh, but one story I was reminded of, of living on the island is being stuck in gale force winds out in the open ocean. Has anyone out been in scary situation out in the open ocean before? I remember as a kid, probably 14 years, or more like 12 years old, and uh, we, we went fishing quite a bit, and I remember Dad had a friend that we were taking out, we were doing some halibut jigging, and we went quite far into the open ocean, then all of a sudden a storm picks up, and these gale force winds begin to come, and, and these swells that were no joke, probably 15 to 20 feet high, began to come, and we as a we're riding in the boat, just riding these waves. We'd almost take a jump and then feel like you're falling 20 feet. And of course, I'm a 12-year-old. I'm excited, so I tied myself to the front of the boat and just felt like I was on a roller coaster, right? 
So there's excitement, yet there's also this aspect of massive fear and danger. And my dad knew the danger that actually surrounded us. Now, when we talk about being steadfast then, being steadfast is easy when all of life is calm, isn't it? When things are going well, when there's no threats, when there's no challenges, when there's no difficulties, it's easy to walk in a straight path, isn't it? But when you have massive swells that you're riding as a boat, they're pulling you and pushing you and the wind is driving you in all these directions and it's hard just to stay straight, isn't it? It's easy to veer off course. It's easy to go the wrong direction. It's easy even to get turned around or even capsize and flip. And so when we, when we realize this, there's, there's this aspect that it's easy to be steadfast when it's calm, but when life actually gets chaotic and challenging, that's really where the difficulty arises. And so why would you head out on the open ocean in the middle of a storm? That is quite risky, isn't it? There's a great amount of risk to that. And if it's a calm and sunny day, then there's no risk being out on the ocean for a nice little cruise. You might even go farther out into the open ocean than you've ever been before. However, if the ocean gets stormy and choppy and powerful winds begin to blow, then there's some risk that is going out in the water. Now, if there's no purpose to going out in the water, are you going to head out there? No. You're going to stay in the comfort of your own home. You're going to let the storm pass by. You're going to enjoy life. You're not going to head out there. But if there is a purpose, if, if you are a fisherman and your life depends on catching fish for money, are you going to head out in a storm? If you are a Coast Guard or part of the Navy and there's people that need to be rescued, are you going to head out in the storm? And you're going to be steadfast in your purpose and even willing to take risks to accomplish that because you realize that there is a purpose that is greater than the risk that you are going to undergo. And so even this risky endeavor that we see of people entering out into the ocean, there's this even potential of loss of injury. You can lose your money, you can lose your boat, you can use your life, you may even endanger others by being out there. Purpose really is the only thing that will put you into risk. Does that make sense? Purpose is, is really the only thing that will bring you into risk. And, and so when we talk about being steadfast, when we walk through all the storms of life that are pulling us in all these different directions, there's, there's a risky endeavor just by living life itself. But purpose is really what is the driving force behind being steadfast in our Christian walk. And so, so think about this for a second. You can be an extremely risky, purpose, or risky person having all the wrong purposes, right? We could easily say someone with a gambling addiction, for example, they are very risky people. And what's the purpose behind it? Money, right? They will risk everything to get some money, to get more money. Purpose behind risk is the case. Now let me ask you this, church. Do we have a purpose? 
Uh, our purpose is to be proclaimers of the gospel, to bring people in relationship with Jesus so that we can be part of reconciling them to their creator. Our purpose is to be people of justice and mercy and love and righteousness and be the calling of the people that he has created us to be. We have so many purposes as a church, but what we often do in our individual lives is to live out those purposes is very risky, isn't it? There's often a cost to following Jesus. And so instead of entering out into the mission, instead of entering out into the storm, and instead of entering out into the chaos of this world, what do we often do? We sit back. We become apathetic. We say, oh, the world is too chaotic and stormy out there. There's no purpose in going out there. Anyone sort of feel like that at times where you see chaos and storms and hardship and pain, and so we pull back. Well, our passage this morning is going to confront each and every one of our lives. I know it deeply confronted my life as well of of pondering and, and hearing from God what he has for the apostle Paul. And so let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 21. Uh, Again, I invite you to turn your Bibles if you don't have a Bible. um, We can give you one after the service if you'd like, but we have it up on the screen for you as well. And and at this point of the journey, Paul has said goodbye to the church in Ephesus. He's cried with the Ephesian elders. Um, he, He grieves that he would probably never see their face again as he's heading towards Jerusalem. He literally describes his, his trauma, in a sense, of leaving them. And this is the continuation of that story. So Acts chapter 21, and we're going to go from verses 1 to 15 right now. And it says, When we had parted from them and set sail, so he's on a boat. That's why all the ships were in my mind, if you were wondering what that was all about. And we came by a straight course to Kos, and to the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patria. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo." And so Paul's traveling all around, traveling by ship. He comes to this crucial point, this trading center, and it's this place where all the cargo is going to be unloaded and it's going to be loaded up again. So Paul's basically left in the city for a week. And, And so what do we see Paul doing because he was hanging out there for a week and having sought out who? Having sought out the disciples. In other words, I'm here for a week. What's Paul's desire? I want to go find some other Christians. I want to go see how God has been working in this part of the world. I want to see what God is doing in this area. I want to meet Christians. And so he stays there for seven days waiting for the ship to be ready. Now here's a crucial statement. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to do what? To go on Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? What had the Holy Spirit already told Paul? Go to Jerusalem, right? So what's going on here? And we're going to get more examples of this as we continue the story. What's going on? Let's set a foundation for understanding this. 
we have the Holy Spirit telling Paul to go to Jerusalem, and, and now we have these, these Christians talking with Paul for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Well, what is the Spirit telling them? I think that's a crucial question to understand this passage. Is there a contradiction? No. What is the Spirit telling them? What has the Spirit been telling Paul even all along? What is going to happen in Jerusalem? He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be trialed. He might even lose his life. And so here we have these Christians engaging Paul for seven days, and they hear the same thing from the Spirit, that, Paul, this is what you're going to face. Now, if you love someone, do you want them to experience that? No. It's fascinating. With the people we love, the last thing we want to see them go through is suffering, isn't it? The people we love, the last thing we want them to go through is hardship. And so they, they hear from the Spirit that this is what Paul is going to experience. And so they say, Paul, we love you. We've loved getting to know you. You are doing such a good job discipling and mentoring. The last thing we want you to do is to be killed or imprisoned because then the church suffers. And Paul says, no. I'm resolved, I'm steadfast to go there. And so let's keep walking through the story. Verse 5, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with the wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we did what? We prayed. And we said farewell to one another. And then we went to board the ship and returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Polemius, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. Where have we seen Philip already in the book of Acts? Anyone know? He's deacon, preaching to Samaritans, right? Baptized who? The Ethiopian, right? So Philip's quite prominent throughout the story of Acts as well, who was one of the seven. And we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we, when we heard this, we and the people were urged, urged him not to what? Don't go up to Jerusalem. So here again, we have four daughters prophesying. We have Agabus prophesying, saying, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you. And their interpretation, their understanding, their implication and application of hearing from the Holy Spirit is what to Paul? Don't go. Don't go. 
And I think this is crucial for us to realize in our own life, especially when we, when we talk to one another and engage one another. Because all of us out of, again, love or want to keep us from certain things. And all of us out of concern and love for one another want to speak into each other's lives and we want to warn people about what risks could cause and implications of things that they do. And what we realize, even though these people love Paul, they were pointing him in the wrong direction. They were steering him away from the purposes of God. They were urging him not to go up Jerusalem. They, they didn't get a sense, they didn't, didn't get an understanding of what it truly meant for what the Holy Spirit was speaking to them. So Paul answers them. Verse 13. He says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to what? Even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And I think of, of Paul at this point in his story. When we first come to Paul in the story of Acts, where do we see him? What's the situation happening the first time we encounter Paul? His name was Saul at that point. The stoning of Stephen, right? And, and, and Saul, named Paul, he is witnessing martyrdom. He is witnessing someone who believes so intensely that Jesus has risen from the dead and that our calling and our lives are now surrounded by giving allegiance to King Jesus that they were willing to die for it. And so we see Paul from that side witnessing martyrdom, seeing the power and purpose of following Jesus to the point where now on the other side of Acts, we see Paul saying, I'm willing to do that as well. In other words, there is no risk too great in this world that could take me away from the purposes of God. There is no risk that is not worth giving up to follow the calling that God has placed on my life. Why? Because what is the greatest threat to Paul in Jerusalem? That they're going to kill him. And Paul says, who cares? What happens if they kill me? I'm going to be raised up from the dead. I'm going to be with the Father. There, there's no threat in this world that could take me away from any of that. And so he, he says, I'm, res I'm ready. It, it doesn't matter if I die in Jerusalem. I, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in hope in the presence of God after this death. And so Paul begins this tangent of engaging with them and I'm sure he would have explained some of his desire to go there and willing even to face death. Then it says this, and since he would not be persuaded, in other words, there was probably a pretty intense discussion going on. 
And that's the beauty of the body of Christ, right? We, we hear from the Holy Spirit together. We, we discern the Holy Spirit together. And we engage in community. We engage in discussion. We say, I, I think God might be calling you to this. Or, or no, this, I have this conviction that God is calling me here. We, we engage. We, we discuss. We, we live in community to hear the Holy Spirit together. And, and Paul ultimately would persuade them. Because they ceased, and they said this. They said, let the will of the Lord be done. Amen, church? Is that our prayer? Is that our heart? Is that our desire, not just as a corporate church, but as individuals? Is that the will of the Lord would be done in our lives? That no matter the cost that no matter the risk, that no matter the threat that comes in our lives, that the will of the Lord would be done. Paul was extremely steadfast because he trusted in the sovereignty of God. He trusted in the plans and purposes of God. He trusted that God could accomplish a great amount even in his death. Whereas I'm sure the church in this conversation was saying, Paul, you are planting churches, you are proclaiming the gospel, you are influencing so many Gentiles, you're even influencing a lot of the Jews, bringing them to faith. There's no way that God could take you from us. How could that be part of the purposes of God? And Paul, I'm sure in his mind would have said, I know what happened after Stephen's martyrdom. I know how the church was radically transformed, and I know how my own life was radically transformed because of that. So Paul says, I know that anything could happen even in my death, even in what God has called them to do. And so what do we have here? We, we have this concept of, of contemplation that we have to deal with. We have to realize first and foremost that the driving force of our life should always be let the will of the Lord be done. In our lives and others, no matter the risks, no matter the costs, no matter the consequences, we always must submit to that. Uh, Mark Buchanan, and after these days he went up into Jerusalem. In other words, Paul said, no, my mission is set, my face is set, I'm heading to Jerusalem. Now, does that sound a little bit like Jesus, too? Uh, I, I wonder when the historian Luke framed this, I wonder if he, he correlated a little bit with the gospel story because there's this beautiful turning point in the gospel story where Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. In other words, he knew his purpose and mission of crucifixion, dying for the sins of the world. And now we see Paul almost with that same mentality of setting his face towards Jerusalem. So how do, we, how do we process this? Well, there's a, there's a book by Mark, Mark Buchanan, who's a Canadian author. He's out of the island as well, actually. He's at Ambrose College now in Calgary. And he wrote a book, Your God is Too Safe. Has anyone ever heard of that book? Yeah, a couple of you. Your God is Too Safe. And I love the subtitle. It, the subtitle is Rediscovering... The wonder of a God you cannot control. <laughs> Amen? 
Who of us like to control God at times? Who of us like to tell God what needs to be done or what shouldn't be done, right? This book is all about releasing our desire to control God and allowing ourselves to trust in a God who doesn't give us these safe, comfortable, secure lives, but actually calls us out to a mission in this world with great risk, with great cost. And and, and I love this little description he gives in one of the, the statements in the book. He says, God's definition of going well is unique, right? Now, how many of us, when we come, even on Sunday morning, sometimes we say, how's it going, right? Oh, it's going good. Life is well, right? And we have that generic conversation. But I think it goes even farther than that of of even what is a good life? How do we define a good life? In my meetings this week, we, we finished meetings on, on uh, Wednesday night around 9 p.m. And that night, I headed down to the hot tub. And I met this guy who was a, a golf professional at the, the Victoria Golf Club, which is a private club. And, and so I was talking to him a little about engaging in conversation. He found out I was there for pastor's meetings. So whenever people find out you're a pastor, it automatically changes the conversation. <laughs> And uh, so we started engaging and discussing, and so I asked him, like, do you have any, you know what a pastor is, like, you know what I do, so do you have any experience in the church or any background in the church? And he says, well, my parents were Anglican, but I really walked away from the faith. I really have no connection to it. And so I was engaging him. I was like, well, what is your purpose in life? Like, what do you live for? What, is, what are you trying to accomplish? And so obviously him being a golf pro, his, his mentality was, well, health and, wealthness is, or health and wellness is what I really strive for. That's my purpose. That's my meaning. And of course, I didn't say it, but I was thinking, I was like, well, one day you're going to get old and die, so that doesn't mean much. But <laughs> of course, I didn't say that to his face, but in the back of my mind, that's what I'm thinking. But it shows, I think he's he has a worldview that's quite prominent in our culture. That my purpose in life is, you know what, I just take care of my body, I, I try and take care of my mental health, and I have fun and enjoy a sport like golf, and that means life is going well. But what happens in that mentality when trauma comes? What happens when grief comes? What happens when everything falls apart. What happens when sickness comes if your meaning and purpose is health and wellness? You see how we don't walk through this world without chaos? <laughs> and so Mark Buchanan, this, this is what he says. He says, God's definition of going well is unique. It's actually very different from our cultures. It's distinct. It's almost eccentric. And he says, his definition of wellness is not about what? It's not about health. It's not about finances. It's not about job security. In other words, just because you're healthy, just because you're rich, just because you have a good job, that doesn't mean you're doing well in life or experiencing what life is all about. He says, it's not about unfailing protection from all the vagarities and dangers of a broken world. 
Why? Because as soon as we walk through this world, chaos happens. And then he says it's, it's not even about life being fair. This is something kids learn early on, don't they? <laughs> is life fair? Is it? No. And then he says this statement. I think it's pretty powerful. He says, God's definition of going well is actually about acceptance. Accepting the purposes, accepting the calling, accepting the will of God in your life. See, if, if Paul's definition of a good life was from a worldly perspective, do you think he ever would have went to Jerusalem? No. He would have avoided at all costs. And he had so many excuses to do so. Why? Because everyone else in the church was telling him not to go. He easily could have said, you know what, I'm not going to go. And all the other churches would have been like, yep, you're not supposed to go, Paul. You just hang out, be safe, hang out with us. You can live with us for a while. We'll just sit here and, and do some more of what we're doing. Don't worry about it. He had all the excuses in the world. He had all the reasons not to go. But he accepted the purposes and plans for which God had him. It's about acceptance. It's about understanding. Richard Baxter has a prayer that I found very influential in my life. He's, a, he's an old Puritan pastor. I know some of you have been talking about Puritanism lately. It's been fun with those discussions, but... He had this prayer. He said, Lord, and I modernized the English because there's a lot of thou's and stuff. I thought it'd be confusing. So it is modernized, but this is what he would say. He would say, Lord, what you will, where you will, and when you will. Amen? That should be the prayer daily in our lives. That should be the prayer of acceptance day after day after day to whatever God is calling us to. What you will, where you will, and when you will. And so what I want to do for the, the purposes of our time, there's some other things I wanted to share, but I think we just need to process this for a little bit. And so I'm going to invite you all just to bow your heads. and I'm just going to open up this this time and space for us to engage and to converse with God together. And even if you're not a Christian in this room, uh, maybe this is a time and space where you can just spend some time in contemplation with us and ask some of these important questions about life and meaning and purpose and calling. And what I want us to do is just, is just spend a few minutes engaging God engaging a conversation with God. And so I'm going to invite you just to, to bow your head and close your eyes. Just acknowledge the presence of God with us. Ask God to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And I want you to ask Him a few questions. 
Ask him first of all. Lord, what sin in my life do I need to confess that is keeping me from your will? What sin in my life do I need to confess that is keeping me from your will? Just engage that conversation with God. Let me remind you that our God is a God who is faithful and just to forgive us of all sins because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. So whatever sin God has revealed to you, He's not only given you the, the forgiveness from that sin, but the power to overcome that sin. So trust Him. Submit your life to Him. And the next question I want you to ask is, God, what are you calling me to that because of the risk I have avoided? God, what are you calling me to that because of the risk I have avoided? Let's converse with God. Ask him that question. What are you calling me to that because of the risk I have avoided? And lastly, I want, I want us to pray a prayer of submission to God. And for those of you who are Christians, I pray this would be a continual prayer in your life. And those of you who are still exploring and trying to figure out or discover who God is, maybe this could be the first prayer of submission in your life. We're realizing that submitting to God is the best decision you could ever make. So the prayer of submission I, I want us to end with is this prayer. And I invite you to, to pray it after me. Pray it out loud with me. I'll do it phrase by phrase. You can repeat these words after me. Lord, what you will. Lord, where you will. And Lord, when you will. And gracious Father, we come before you just to acknowledge that 
we so often live lives apart from you, apart from your direction, apart from your guidance, apart from your wisdom. And Lord, in doing so, we, we enter into a world full of sin and we add sin and injustice to it. And so, Lord, we pray that as we so easily sway and get distracted from the purposes and calling to which you have given us, that you would create us in, in our hearts and our minds a steadfastness to your purposes, to your will. Lord, this is a, a prayer that we don't just need for the, the greater callings in life that we have with occupation and all these other things, but we need it as a daily prayer in the way that we treat our friends, our family, in the way we engage with our co-workers, in the way that we think and act, Lord, we need to continually be submitting ourselves to your will and your purposes. And Lord, I pray that when we engage with the fear that keeps us from taking risks, that you would be a God who convicts us and challenges us so that we would know that there is no threat in this world that can overcome the reality of resurrection. Lord, the greatest threat we have in this life is death. And yet you have taken that threat from us through Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that because of the resurrection, which we celebrated last week, that we would be a people who live bold lives, who live courageous lives, who step into risk when everything else speaks against it. And so give us a deep wisdom to hear from your Spirit. Allow us to continue in confession and allow us to continue in submission to your will for your glory and for our good. And the church says, Amen.